So welcome again to Making Disciples Every Day. This is Paul Wilkinson. Uh, Jason is sick, so be in prayer for him to heal quickly. I'm here with Preston Sprinkle, a PhD. Uh, really excited about this conversation we're about to have today. So let me give you a, a bio of who he is, and I, he can jump in and add what he wants or delete what he wants. Uh, Preston, Sprinkle, Preston Sprinkle, PhD in New Testament and Early Judaism. Uh, has been a college professor for a number of years, New York Times bestselling author, several books, including People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. Preston currently serves as the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, an organization that's aimed at helping Christians engage questions about faith, sexuality, and gender with theological faithfulness and courageous love. If you have questions related to the LGBTQ conversation, please check out the center's website, uh, centerforfaith.com, and I'll post that in the show notes so you can just click on it and get there. Lots of great resources for you there. Uh, so we're here today to talk about questions uh, about faith, sexuality, and gender, and how they're some of the most pressing ethical questions for the church today. So we're excited to talk about the Grace Truth Learning Experience, a highly acclaimed small group material produced by the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Grace Truth 1.0 and 2.0 is a 10-week small group learning experience that helps Christians, churches, and community groups engage the conversation about homosexuality and LGBTQ-related questions with theological faithfulness and courageous love. If you're interested in this conversation with other Christians, then Grace Truth Learning Experience is a perfect place to begin. So tell us a little more about that program and those groups. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm super excited about this podcast. Um, I'm glad to see you guys as a church really working through these really important questions. So trying to tackle it. <laughs> I mean, the whole the whole center for faith, sexuality, and gender exists. We, me, and some other people created it because we felt like church leaders really just were, I mean, really asking for and clamoring for help to navigate these yeah. conversations uh, on on the real ground or you know the practical arena of, of ministry and. So one of the things that a lot of leaders were asking for, you know, they said, we can find books to read or whatever. Some are academic, some are theologically right. sound, some aren't, some aren't very academic. And, but we don't have any kind of small group material that emphasizes both grace and truth in this conversation. So, yeah, yeah we were just really answering the need for that. You know, how can churches not just preach a sermon on it, but how can churches actually, you know, introduce um, what I would consider a holistically biblical approach to this conversation uh, through, you know, small group learning experiences. So, yeah, the, the Grace Truth, you know, series is it comes in two parts. Um, we realize that not everybody wants to go through 10 weeks of uh, sexuality and gender conversations. Right. So we actually created, you know, 1.0, which is a five week self-contained study. Yeah. But anybody that goes through that is going to have a lot more questions and exactly. maybe the questions yeah. that they didn't even realize that they had going into it. So we created a, another five weeks if they want to go through the full 10 weeks. But the, you know, the first time, the first five weeks is a self-contained study, but it's real practical. It's down to earth. It's conversational. It's, it's really for anybody that, uh, once, um, yeah, I almost said a trusted guide. I guess, you know, yeah. <laughs> you'd have to get to know me before you trust me. I understand that. But I mean, I'm, I'm going to, you know, um, take a biblical view on on, on uh, sexuality and gender related questions. Um, yeah, well, everything we've heard from you and uh, read from you has been really good. So we okay, certainly okay. endorse it thus far. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. But, you know, yeah. but one thing I've seen and let, let me just say people in our circles who who follow what the Bible says about uh, marriage and sexuality. S sometimes our circles uh, have not 
done the best job at really caring for people who are, you know, wrestling with their sexuality or, or being a good listener or just uh, reaching out to people who are struggling, who have, you know, I'll just say it, you know, unwanted attractions to the same sex and yet are trying to follow Jesus in that. Well, how do we, how do we pastor somebody like that? Or what, how does the parent respond when their kid comes out as gay? You know, yeah. uh, what is a, what is a holistically Christian response to that? Uh, within the paradigm of holding to biblical truth on, on marriage and sexuality. And, and we can go on and on. I'm sure we'll get to some of these. But I mean, there's, you know, even if you think the Bible is pretty black and white on the theology of it, there's a lot of pastoral and relational gray area here that um, that I, I see the church really needing help navigating. So that's that's my full time job is is helping the church do, do yeah, that. And that's a good way to frame it. Like No matter where you stand on your biblical interpretation at the end of the day, the rubber meets the road in these relationships we have with our friends, neighbors, coworkers. So are we equipped well to be a biblical witness? And I really like that you're elevating grace and truth yeah. uh, as Christ did John one. Yeah. So you want to find Dr. Sprinkle on Twitter, look at at Preston Sprinkle, or you can learn more about him at PrestonSprinkle.com. And we'll link in the show notes to all those great uh, programs, curriculum, small group, uh, learning experience and the rest. So you alluded to what the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender was about. Uh, can you give a little more details on when it was founded? And um, I don't know, maybe some high points for you since you've been sure, doing this. Yeah. Well, I got into the conversation by writing the book, People to Be Loved, that you um, mentioned early on. So I started researching for that book. I think it was 2012. Uh, started blogging about it, talking about sexuality. And then the book was actually published in 2015. So I would say it's really since that book was published, I've been doing a lot of thinking and speaking on this topic. Um, but it wasn't until summer of 2016 when, for various reasons, I ended up uh, having to close down a campus that I was teaching at here in Boise. It was basically out of a job, but yeah. very really quickly, I had some people come around me and say, "Man, this this seems like seems like the church needs somebody to to stand in the gap between this." Yeah. LGBT conversation, the academics of it, the theology, the ethics, the psychology, sure. and, and yet help church lead, like specifically Christian leaders or church leaders navigate the practical um, aspect of this conversation. So that, so the idea of the center came out, came about in uh, September 2016. It was officially launched in 2017. We got our 501c3 status uh, later that year. So it's it's almost been three years where this yeah. has been my official full time job. Um, of you know creating resources and and also I travel a lot around the country training church leaders on on this conversation. Oh, excellent! Yeah, and when I first heard you was at the Q conference recently here in Nashville uh, earlier in the year. So certainly good stuff there. Uh, so we'll dive in. Our our strategy at this church, what we try to be about, is really Great Commission, which we describe as becoming disciples of Jesus who make disciples with Jesus. So this idea that Christ is with us to the end of the age and we're the presence of Christ as we engage others. And I think that's what the congregation is really passionate about is to say, um, first, uh, well, ultimately, how do I engage with with someone that is same sex attracted? Uh, before that, can I be equipped with how to think biblically on it before I come to that encounter? So I guess initially, uh, what how would you describe to someone um your perspective or understanding of the biblical teaching on same-sex attractiveness. Yeah, yeah that one's, uh, I don't want to say easy, but I can give a, a quick, clear uh, response to that. Biblically, 
I, I would I would agree with the traditional historic Christian position that marriage is is by definition between a male and a female, um, or the way I word it is sex difference mm. is part of what marriage is. Uh, marriage is by definition a relationship between two sexually different persons. Uh, I think that's you know you look at Genesis one and two, you look at Matthew nineteen and other passages. It doesn't that doesn't seem to be unclearly revealed in scripture like that's that does seem to be what right. it teaches it's what the church has globally believed for 2000 years um and so and and i believe that all sexual relationships outside that covenant bond are sin i believe that god does not endorse sexual relationships male male female female male female whatever outside the covenant bond of marriage which is by definition between a man and a woman so same-sex relationships would be ruled out um, because they can't be considered marriages. And we have, you know, five or six explicit verses in the Bible that uh, prohibit same-sex sexual relationships. Now, that's my two-minute summary. Uh, every syllable that I've said has been debated by somebody somewhere. Sure, <laughs> and sure. I'm, I'm not, uh, I've written many, many pages explaining that in more detail. So, uh, so yeah, but so I'll say, you know, I'll save you all the details of that. But just so people here, I do want to tell my audience though that um, we need to do more than just simply quote, you know, Romans one or Genesis two, mm -hmm. and think that just quoting the Bible settles it. There's a lot of um, a debate about not not what the Bible. Everybody knows what the Bible says, right? But there is a debate about what the Bible means. Very um, good. You know, for instance, the the Bible would say that Jesus is a man, and uh, it, I, it also says it's he's God, right? But it says he's a man, and some people could say, "See, the Bible says he's a man, therefore he's not God." And it's like, well, <laughs> you can't just quote a verse and think that settles it. We need to sure. go into what does it mean that he's a man, and how does that relate to other passages that you know, the divinity and Trinity. You know, these are complex yeah. matters, which right. deal not just with biblical quotation but biblical interpretation. So we do need to go past just simply quoting Romans and think we settled it. Everybody knows what Romans one says. Every gay person yeah. I know. Right. Romans one memorized in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin. Yeah, you know? there you go. Yeah, <laughs> they know what it says. There is a debate about what these verses mean. Now, having swam through that debate again, I, I still believe in the traditional view. But um, uh, yeah, I do encourage our audience to to really um, uh, do, do some study on this. Don't think you can just right. rely on what you've traditionally held. You know, to be a sufficient response for somebody else that may have really thought through these issues more thoroughly. Yeah, so if the majority of you then is um, sex difference in marriage, like you say, in any other sexual relationship is um, in disobedience to God, well, then now we have the question you ask, what does that mean then for how I live, how I engage, how I relate to, um, I, I guess, I guess both just sexuality in, gen in general, yeah. gender, and then more specifically, same-sex attractiveness. So walk us through some of your uh, perspective on how the church begins to um, I guess staying in the gap like you are in some yeah. ways. The number one thing, well, there's several pieces of advice I would give. Number one, um, people that are same-sex attracted didn't choose to be same-sex attracted. Now, 10 or 15 years ago, that might have been more controversial. I think in this day and age, um, I, very few people would disagree with that even within the church so if you are listening to that say no i think people choose to be same-sex attracted i would highly encourage you to to really reconsider that i've never met a single gay person who woke up one day in puberty and said you know you know men or women men or women you know, right. i'm going to choose to be attracted to the same sex 
you know, statistically, 96% of people, whether they're religious or not, when they first start realizing that they're attracted to the same sex, the number one thing they do is try to is pray that God would take us away, whether they mm. believe in God or not. Wow. It's fascinating. It's almost, yeah. almost across the board. God, take us away, take us away, take us away. Uh, that's That doesn't sound like the posture of somebody who wants to be that way. So right. uh, same sex, well, let me just say, say it broadly, sexual behavior is a choice, okay? I would say sexual lust is a choice, but right. simply experiencing same sex attraction is not a choice. Now, some people might say, well, isn't same sex attraction just another way of saying same sex lust? Well, I hope not because I am, and you are, I'm going to assume, opposite sex attracted, meaning that by definition, we are attracted to 3.5 billion people on the planet categorically. Right. <laughs> Hopefully, we're not lusting after each one. So, um, uh, so there is a, we have to make a distinction between same sex lust, which is sin. I mean, opposite yeah. lust is sin and simply experiencing same-sex attraction. I think pastorally and relationally, that if straight conservative Christians can just understand that and make that distinction, that is a huge leap to learning how to relate to somebody. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, you're going with an assumption of same-sex lust, and you're already um, in, in a state of condemnation. You've already set the terms for the debate. There's, no, there's not much listening there. Right. There's not much opportunity to learn there. Right, right. So um, another another thing within that is I would say that while same-sex attraction, I would say, is a byproduct of the fall, okay, mm -hmm. I don't think it's what I would call a morally culpable sin. I've chosen that phrase really carefully um, because, again, if it's part of the fall, you could say it's in the broad umbrella category of sin just as a general concept. It's It's... It's not part of God's original design. Um, and that's that's fine if you want to word it that way. But to say it's a, I don't think it's a morally culpable sin to simply experience unwanted same-sex attraction. Now, again, if that leads to lust, yeah. boom, that's, yes, that's a sin. And it's, you know, when does an attraction lead to lust? And that's, that's you know, debates about when you cross that line. Um, but again, yeah, yeah. So, so just as, as a clarifying point, what you're saying is, to be tempted by the thing or to be exposed to whatever the sin is, no matter what it is, is not itself the sin. It is the follow through with whatever we know to be ungodly that would right. shift it into the culpable sin category. Right. Yeah, yeah, very temptation's good. a great, I think that's right. a category that most Christians are familiar with and can resonate with. Yeah. Same sex attraction is a temptation to sin, just like, just like my opposite sex attraction to 3.5 billion people who aren't my wife is also a temptation to sin. Yeah, and I can't good. deny the reality that I am still attracted to the female species. Like that's yep. just categorically right. that's part of my wiring. Um, but it's the lust. If I lust after somebody, you know, looking upon a person with the intent to have sex with them or desiring to have sex with them, um, that that's when it becomes sin. So I think I, I have seen just such internal shame and oppression mm. and de depression and suicide ideation happen when. When same-sex attracted people, especially early on when they're teenagers, early teens, and they're wrestling with this, if they feel that they are simply a walking abomination for simply experiencing mm. same-sex attraction right. without lust. I mean, they're praying. I know one guy the other day, I talked to a guy the other day, he said, I spent a full year praying six to eight hours a day Wow! that God would take this away. And I fasted for a quarter of the year, if you add it all up. He says, like, yeah. 
Sheesh. Out of all the hours in his year, he didn't eat for 25% of them specifically so that God would take this away. That doesn't sound like somebody who is giving in to sin. Like, I don't know a single pastor who prays that much. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's convicting to all of us. I know, right? For sure. So, um, so if you tell that person you're in sin for simply being sex, uh, having same sex attraction and not opposite sex attraction, which is what he heard and what that ended up doing is he ended up right. ditching the whole thing altogether. He said, well, if this is the God that I'm trying to serve, obviously he's not answering my prayer no matter how hard I try. So he left the faith. He ended up coming back to the faith when mm. he learned that, no, I can be same sex attracted. And as long as I'm not acting on it, I'm, I'm living faithfully for God. So um, th- these are some real foundational categories, I think, pastorally or relationally when with, with, with straight conservative Christians can kind of a, well, really like agree with. I think it, oh, it, now the bridge is laid for a really solid relationship to begin. Yeah. Now you said something that really triggered something in my mind right there. What he heard was that he's an abomination necessarily. So in your expert opinion, with all the folks that you've interacted with, a conversation with, um, interviewed and the rest. What are there one one to five key things that the same sex attracted community is hearing from the evangelical church? It is just that. That's the number one thing is that you think I am intrinsically an abomination. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but like more of an abomination than anybody else. So and then <laughs> right. you look at all the sins, the opposite sex sins in the church, sure. the porn epidemic, yep. high divorce rates, adultery opposite sex lust, sex outside of marriage. I mean, they, they see the church really walking with a massive limp when it comes to their own sexuality mm-hmm. for them to turn around and say, but you are an abomination, even though you're praying six to eight hours a day, even though you're fasting a quarter of the year, simply for having this unwanted desire like that, that heaps piles of shame upon a person. So number one, I would say the, the number one thing that they are hearing from the church is this kind of a message of shaming again, shaming. not for acting on this, but simply for their very existence. Right. Every single gay person I know that was raised in the church, which 83%, we can go there of gay people were raised in the church. Wow. They already have an overwhelming internal sense of shame. They don't need the church to show. They already have this overwhelming sense of I am an abomination. I'm an abomination. I'm an abomination. I know a pastor who experiences same sex attraction. And this guy's been preaching the word of God faithfully for mm. 30 years. I mean, conservative theologically and everything is not acting on it. Right. He says, Preston, there's not a day that goes by where I don't, where I don't doubt God's love for me simply because through no choice of my own, I have these, this temptation. Yeah. Um, so, so if you have somebody who already has that hour to hour, minute to minute internal shame that they're she- heaping upon themselves to have that reinforced by the church, explicitly or even implicitly can be very damaging for somebody's walk, especially the, those who are trying to pursue Jesus. Um, so you're asking me for a lot. I'm, I'm going too long on each one. So, well, no, no, this, this is fine by me. I got as long as you got. I mean, this, <laughs> our people can pause it and get to it tomorrow. I mean, this is great. It's really well, great. Let me throw out a few bullet point things. I mean, I if we don't understand I, these core assumptions, we're not going to be able to engage properly. We have to understand how we're being perceived and then also the biblical assumptions that ought to drive us um, with that courageous love you talk about. So it's significant. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, another really practical thing is I would highly recommend Christians becoming better listeners. I can't mm. tell you how many times I've talked to somebody who's gay when, when I just sat down and just listened. Well, what was it like? You know, 
growing up and it's almost like they're shocked like yeah i never heard of a christian that just wanted to listen to me and to see how humanizing simply listening and genuinely listening not listening so that you can jump in and you know the second there's a silence and critique them but i'm listening to you because you're you're created in god's image you have a story you're human and i want to i want to hear from your perspective what it was like growing up gay when christians can genuinely do that i'm talking that that can lay a really thick relational bridge where me you know i've seen this happen where you if you're talking to somebody who's not a christian at all and they're gay and if they hear a christian just simply desiring to listen to their story i've seen that open up all kinds of gospel opportunities you know which should be the goal of any christian right yeah Um, so listening um uh, all, as I said before, I mean, understanding some basic categories like same-sex attraction and that it's unchosen and the difference between sin and not sin. Um, uh, the hypocrisy piece is a huge one, too. Um, when the church, when straight Christians can stand up and say, you know what, I'm broken in my sexuality, too. You know what, I have failed, too. Um, you know what, I need God's grace daily, hourly, too. Right, right. That 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 can go a long way too because a perception and perceptions, you know, some perceptions are untrue, some are true, but either way, the perception is, is that yeah. the church, the straight church thinks it has its, you know, stuff all together, even though they right. don't <laughs> sure. You're a pastor. Yeah. I'm sure you got yeah. stories. You can, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're a mess. We need God's grace right. daily. When we have that posture, then it's easier for people to relate to. But when we have this kind of holier than thou posture, yeah. even if it's unintentional, um, unintentional meaning we just never really admit our faults or kind of downplay the mistakes that we're making. Uh, then it looks like we're just kind of covering up our real mess. You know? For sure. And I mean, whether perceptions are true or not, they're conversation inhibitors. I mean, they'll keep, they'll keep the, us from engaging relationally with one another. Um, so if that's, if that's what the community is, is hearing and you've already shared maybe one or two steps. So one listening, uh, to being honest about our own brokenness, mm-hmm. How do you start those conversations or start those relationships with people? Um, I mean, that's kind of a broad question. I, I would say, let's just say you're in you're in the workplace um, or in your neighborhood or whatever, and there's somebody you're trying to get to know who is gay or lesbian or trans. Um, the one thing I constantly hear from LGBT people is just talk to us like you would somebody like we're not some subcategory of human, you know, like most Christians have no problem just talking with their greedy neighbor or their, you know, their coworker who probably has too many houses and spends their money on all kinds of stuff. They shouldn't mm-hmm. like, there's all kinds. If you're not a Christian, you're probably not going to be holding to Christian values. <laughs> you know, yeah. shocker. I know. Good. So, so if somebody is holding to a non-Christian view of sexual morality or a non-Christian view of marriage, like, cut them in a little slack. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to obey God with the spirit. Try doing it without, you know, like what, if you weren't a Christian, why, why would you hold the biblical values? You know? So, um, just relate to them like we would anybody at, we are usually decent at relating to non-Christian right. people. Um, so there's no it, reason to single it's out. So good. Yeah. Yeah. No reason to single out somebody else who has a different kind of thing they're, you know, living in or struggling with, uh, just treat them like a normal person. Yeah. Be friends with, um, and, and that's part of the issue is nothing to be weird about. Just be just be friends with uh, with people. And over time, as you build that relationship, I would argue, I mean, uh, 
um, this this willingness to take seriously your own views or the church's views comes with trust and trust usually is the function of the relationship you built with somebody. Yeah. And so I would agree with you. It doesn't have to be special. And that's the point is it's not some unique thing. It's just like talking to anyone, yeah. um, find common ground, engage people, be open, welcoming and hospitable. Yeah. A lot of people I talk to, they're almost scared to share their faith. Well, I don't know how it is in, in, in that. It might be different in Nashville. I know in certain progressive cities, I was just in San Diego uh, talking to a church last weekend and, and, and I go to other progressive cities like in Portland or San Francisco. And I tell you, man, Christians are really scared to even say they're a Christian because what's the next question? What do you think about homosexuality? Right. And if you even give a biblical stance, you're labeled as a bigot, a Nazi, a homophobe and all this stuff. Or, and, um, and so Christians are kind of like scared. Like I'm scared that that question is going to come up and yeah. I don't want to be accused of things. I'm not. Um, so I, I you know, I've, I found that if you have a non-Christian LGBT person that you're wanting to get to know and it starts to go down that road of like faith and where are you at? What do you believe about homosexuality? I think asking that person, what, you know, what, what's your, just ask him. It, it's, it could, it's a great learning exercise. What, what's your perception of the Christian church? Would love to hear from you. What's your perception of the Christian church? I'm not, you're not going to offend me. I just would love to know when you think of Christian church, what comes to your mind and really, I mean, and, and don't be defensive. I, I, I would love for Christians to really hear what that response is because Paul says in Romans 2, 4, that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Mm-hmm. And, and most of us can point to a time in our life when we came to repentance because we encountered the kindness of God. Well, the response from your LGBT friend, when you ask him, what's the perception of the church? It should be, oh, church, that's, that's a, that's the kindest community that I know. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you kind of laugh, and I know why. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if we believe what Paul said, if we believe Romans 2, 4, that the kindness of God leads to repentance, then there, our reputation should be one of kindness. And I think it is healthy for us and sobering for us to hear nine times out of 10, maybe 99 out of 100 times, that's not going to be the response. It's going to be yeah. something other than kindness probably some words that I can't repeat on your podcast. <laughs> well, that, but that's good. That's good for us to hear. And then we can say, yeah. okay, well, I want you to know that I'm different and we may have different views on stuff. That's totally fine. But I want you to know that you are creating God's image. I value you. You are, you know, um, I honor you as a human being. Like, you know, don't need to say those things, but you can demonstrate genuine respect for another human and honor for another human. Even if you disagree on some really significant um, ethical questions but um sometimes some lgbt people have never felt honored by another christian and that that's that's really sad yes it's a good word though uh because even if even if you think you're being kind if that kindness is not being received or interpreted as kindness then it's it's really nothing it's just a banging symbol uh, to grab even more paul's language so there's a place for just asking, what do you think? I mean, it's such a powerful question. It's what I do, whether it's comparative religions, talking to people of other faiths, right. talking to the naturalistic atheist is very, very little preaching. It's a lot of asking. Tell me what you think. Very neutral. Tell me what you learned. Tell me how you were raised. These are questions people can answer that we can build affinity and relationship with individuals that ultimately lead to deeper spiritual uh, conversations a, for sure. That's a fascinating analogy because in, in the work that you've done, yeah. I'm sure that atheists probably have a similar kind of 
<laughs> no doubt. <laughs> reputation of Christians yeah. of like, oh, they're just hostile. They think I'm the devil and everything, and they don't respect my reasoning or whatever. To sh- for, do you find the same experience that when you show uh, them honor as another human? That, that- no, no doubt about it. Wow. And it's, tell me what you think. I often do. Tell me what you think of the church, uh, because in the very least, speaking at it as it logically, you want to answer the questions they have, not just some generic set of questions out in the um, the ether, so to speak. So ask them what their questions are, and it, it really helps frame up the discussion. So yeah, a lot of naturalistic, atheistic, humanists I sit with um, will critique, of course, God for allowing evil, and will critique the church for judging them as not capable of goodness outside of God. Right. Um, and so sort of we just give a Romans 2 answers. No, I mean, we expect you to be good because God wrote that on your heart. And it's just stunning the openings people will leave in their lives for you to share uh, both your testimony and the gospel if you're willing to just ask them about themselves first. Wow. It's shocking. With that, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective and your analysis of the way Jesus dealt uh, with sexuality um, in the encounters he had, whether it be marriage or whatever the case is. Uh, do you Can you identify a couple of key features of the way Jesus dealt with the issue? Yes, yes. On a theological level, let me say a few things. Uh, first of all, Jesus never explicitly mentions homosexuality. There's no verse in red letters in the Gospels where he explicitly mentions se- uh, homosexuality or same-sex sexual relationships. So some people kind of say, ah, so he didn't care. Well, there's a lot of things Jesus didn't mention because in his right. Jewish context, there were some assumptions that every Jewish person held to that they didn't need to you know, debate. Jesus typically brought up things that were debated within the various, you know, segments right. of Judaism. Um, Jesus, do, you know, did clearly affirm male and female sex differences in marriage. In Matthew 19, verses 3 to 5, you know, he cites Genesis one twenty seven. God created the male and female. Therefore, when man leaves his father and mother, he should be joined to his wife. And the two, the two meaning the male and the female, shall become one flesh. Right. Um, now that that that's kind of a, a real yawner <laughs> that a first century Jew, Jesus affirmed yeah. a unanimously held Jewish view of marriage. And, and uh, which again, the implication would be the natural implication would be that therefore same sex sexual relationships are ruled out. And again, this is not, this was not debated within Judaism. I mean, so that's not what, that's not why they like, killed him. It wasn't that issue. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of everything I said about, you know, what is marriage and same sex sexuality? Jesus affirmed that. However, um, when Jesus did encounter people who were not living up to God's standard in sexuality, he, in every instance I know in the Gospels, he led with love. Mm. He led with humanizing the other person. He led with a very anti-Pharisaical approach, which is like, you know, Pharisees were just condemned, condemned, condemned. Right. You're in right. sin, therefore you're, you know in sin and under God's wrath, which isn't, a, think about that. That's not untrue. It's just half of the coin. Yeah. Um, right. so, so with the, um, I mean, there's several instances there, there's the uh, so-called sinner or prostitute in Luke seven. You have, uh, uh, John eight, the, the woman caught in adultery, which, you know, is disputed whether that's in the original, um, and the woman at the well and other passages where he is humanizing the other person while, uh, he's not agreeing with their sin, but he humanizes them, shows them love, shows them honor. And then he often does have a go sin no more kind of message, but that right. always comes after he has humanized them and, and taken a non pharisaical approach. So um, yeah, I've taken kind of taken that as a, 
um, as a prototype or a model for how we should approach um, non-Christian uh, LGBT people today or, or same-sex people same-sex attracted people today who, who might be living in violation of God's standard. And it's like, okay, well, they're not Christian, so what do we expect? Um, but Jesus always fronted love, and I think the church, yeah. again, should imitate Jesus in that, and yet historically has not taken that. Yeah, no, that's good language. Love, honor, value. Uh, you may share a meal with, you may walk with, you may have into your home. I mean, these don't have to be grand um, grand instances. It's just very basic things of inviting somebody into your life can yeah. give honor and again, I just, boy, I'm so compelled and convicted by just listening to, asking and listening. That's a big deal. Language that we hear sometimes is love the sin or hate the sin. So we hate the sin, we love the sinner. Uh, how is that played in, in your dealings? Yeah, so, several years ago, it was a gay friend of mine who asked me the question. He goes, Preston, why is it that the love the sinner, hate the sin, why is it always a straight person telling a gay person that? <laughs> Why is it always one directional? Yeah. And this particular person said, you know what? I, I get what you're trying to say. And I could see within a Christian theology, why, you know, it might make sense. Maybe on paper it sounds good, but you just got to understand it has a very condescending ring to it. Like, you know, we are over here who have no sin. You don't say that, but that's how, that's how it feels. Like we're over here in all of our straight righteousness you know, who has our sexuality all together and we're trying to love those poor, nasty, ugly, abominable sinners over there. You know, right. that's not what we're saying, but that is how it comes off. So I've modified the phrase and say, instead of love the sinner, hate the sin, why don't we love the sinner, hate our own sin because we have piles of it yeah. and invite one broken sinner to follow Jesus together as one broken sinner to another broken sinner. Um, so again, it has to do with that perception that the church the straight or straight conservative Christians think that they have their sexuality all all nailed down. They're walking, yeah, you know, pretty well, and um, and it's all those other sinners over there that really need you know the gospel. And it's like, no, I need the gospel every day when it comes to my sexuality, and I often fail uh, in that. Um, yeah. How would you encourage? Um, Try to see the way I frame this because uh, I think I know your answer based on what some of what you said earlier. But I can imagine someone listening saying, "Okay, I, I'm at church. The, the worship gathering is about to begin. Uh, someone walks in, and and perhaps they just share with because I mean, obviously don't assume just treat people as normal in the in the context of how you would love someone, like you said. But someone shares with them, "Is this church open to same-sex attracted individuals? Yeah, how ought the non-same-sex attracted individual in that instance act um what are some of your responses how, how do we uh, how do we show love in, in that moment that's good so the in this conversation the broader conversation the church has been really good at giving thin answers to thick questions okay so when i get those kind of one word you know what do you think about this what do you think about that i don't want to perpetuate that kind of Christian response, giving really thin, quick, soundbite answers to really complicated questions. Um, so the, the approach that I have felt can be the most profitable is to invite the person to lunch. Say, you, you know what, I, I would love to talk with you about that. And you can even say where, you know, I, I would say, you know, I've got a lot of gay friends who have been really hurt by the church 
giving Dan mm-hmm. answers to big questions. And so I don't, I have an answer to your question, but if I just give you some flippant, you know, quick response, I feel like I'm going to dehumanize my gay friends who have been given those yeah. thin responses all the time. So can, can I buy you lunch? I'll buy you lunch. And I would love to uh, hear from you, get to know you. Um, uh, and you can get to know me and we, and we can understand this really volatile conversation of what we believe in the context of some kind of relationship. I had one friend that said, you know what? I only talk theology with my friends. So <laughs> nice. Can we, become, can we become friends? And then we there can you talk go. theology. You know? yeah. and, and here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not avoiding the question. I'm trying to draw it into a more holistically gospel context. That's good. Because if all people hear is, I think homosexuality is a sin, then they interpret that is, oh, so you hate gay people and you think you're better than all of us. Like, well, no, I didn't say that. But when we give those short answers, those short answers can be interpreted in all kinds of weird ways because of the history between the church and the, the gay community. Now, with, you, with your particular question, how do you feel about same-sex attracted people? I'd say, you know what? God accepts them. God accepts opposite-sex attracted mm-hmm. people. And uh, yeah, that, that's no problem with same-sex attracted people because... Yeah, I think you can walk faithfully with God while being same-sex attracted. Um, now, if you're acting on that, then that can be sin. But um, So I would also listen really carefully to, to the, the way the question's worded. Even sure. some people ask me, do you think homosexuality is a sin? And I'll say, well, what do you mean by homosexuality? Very some good. people get upset. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, actually, I don't. Because I know some people who are so in love with Jesus yeah. that they're pursuing celibacy because they're only attracted to dudes, they're a dude, and they don't think it's right to act on it. So out of faithfulness to Jesus, yeah. they're foregoing marriage for the entire life. Um, that's a uh, pretty bold act of faithfulness, and they're and yet that person is still under the broad umbrella of homosexuality. It's right. a broad category. Yeah. And so I need to know more specificity. What do you what exactly are you asking? So I but again, these ki- these kinds of conversations are, are conversations. They, they, yeah. We don't do well when we just give really quick answers to complex questions. So. Yeah, and I'm thinking about um, at the Q conference, you had three individuals up there, um, and then the two ladies you had on the end of the couch there. Um, the one gal said she was coming back to church after having been hurt by it, but trying it again in desperation. Um, and then the the other lady was already a member of that church, experienced same-sex attraction, had decided in obedience to pursue heterosexual marriage and yeah. has a family totally content and joy and satisfied in Christ and family. Yeah. With that, she, she grabs this gal and says, you come sit with me. Yeah. So I'm, I don't I don't care about your sexuality in this moment. I'm not really concerned with what you're struggling with at the moment. I'm inviting you into my life. Come sit with me and then begins discipling her and um, you, you gain a great disciple maker. And so I, I really love your approach is that this is not a unique sin in the broad scheme of of God's righteousness versus our fallenness and that we have to stop treating it as something special. Uh, we need to treat it just like we treat any other person who comes to the church broken, seeking healing. And both those ladies, so Lori was the same sex attracted female married to a man who has been rock solid on the gospel for a number mm. of years. And yeah, she reached out to a, at that time, a trend, a trans identified non-Christian yeah. who was raised in a church, but left the faith. And it was her relational posture that brought her name's cat um, back to faith in Jesus Christ. She's been discipling her 
I mean, I think about how beautiful this is. You have a yeah. a hyper gospel centered, same sex attracted female who believes in a traditional sexual ethic reaching out to a trans identified same sex attracted female. And now both of them, I mean, Kat, Lori was already on fire for Jesus. Now Kat right, is right. one of the most zealous gospel centered humans I've ever met. This, yeah. I'm around her and she just radiates Jesus. Yeah. And it's like, man, I don't, they didn't teach me this stuff in seminary. Maybe, maybe they didn't. Right. I don't know. But like, yeah. this was just so beautiful to see God using unpredictable gospel centered people uh, to reach out to one another. And now, and now Kat is like, she speaks truth into my life and helps me understand Jesus yeah. more. And I'm like, man, this is just such a fun yeah. place to be in the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's really powerful stories. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to set up two things and then, you know, I'm, I've already stolen enough of your time because I really enjoy talking to you. So why not record it for posterity? <laughs> uh, but I'll let you get your final comments on uh, what else the church might need to know. But for me, one of the major blunders that I made early on, particularly when I was getting into apologetics, it was more about knocking down someone's worldview or uh, just sort of destroying their belief system. And so I dealt with a, a lot of homosexual individuals with whom I engaged. And my assumption and my approach, whether unwitting or winning, I don't know as I reflect on it, either way it was a failure, was that reject, reject everything and then Christ will cleanse you on this side of it. So make yourself right and then come to Christ. Yeah. And it never works that way even with us is that we see the beauty of Christ. Christ invites us, we accept it, and then he empowers us to repent, to live in obedience, etc. Right. Um, yeah. That's so, I mean, I think we have to understand that the, the discipleship is a long, mm. sometimes complex journey, and we can't expect, well, let me say this. It's so easy for people to vilify the sins that they don't struggle with. Yeah. So, right, right. you know, somebody who's never experienced a drug addiction, or let's just say an addiction, oftentimes they're like, just stop it you know <laughs> and right. if somebody falls off the wagon or whatever they don't understand the complexity mm -hmm. of, of an addiction or depression people who don't struggle with depression are typically bad disciplers of people who do because they're just like just yeah. don't just be happy you know it's like well it's not that easy and we can go on and on and on so that everybody listening to this has something that they struggle with yeah. maybe it's anger Yep. Maybe there's some 60-year-old men out there who, if you really are honest with yourself, you're like, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and I still can fly off the handle so quickly. And other people that don't struggle with that are like, why are you so angry, you know? Right. <laughs> they get right. But we, we all have certain things that we are, for whatever reason, the fall or whatever, are more prone to struggle with. So I think understanding that somebody else's discipleship journey may look different than yours. Let me just give you a quick example with, with the two people that we just referenced, Kat and Lori. You know, when Kat first came to Jesus, she asked Lori, so what does God say about my gender? What does God say about being male and female? And Lori said, you know what? I'm not quite sure, but I would love to journey with you to figure this mm. out together. Now, yeah. I, and, you know, Kat had a really hard time with female pronouns. It's taken her now two years into her discipleship journey. Now she's okay being called she mm. because she knows that it just refers to her feminine, her, her so sorry, <laughs> it refers to her feet. The fact that she is female doesn't yeah. mean she has to be stereotypically feminine, whatever. Right, right. 
But that, that took a while. And she even says to this day, she says, if Lori had jumped in and say, well, here's chapter and verse, here's what God says. And if Lori came off like, well, have, have it all figured out. And, you know, yeah. tonight before you go to bed, you need to have it all figured out too. She would have walked away from the faith. She would have said, all right, well, I can't, I can't yep. do this. The fact that Lori said, I'm willing to walk with you. And this might take a while. Th- that posture was a very thing that allowed Kat and nurtured Kat to become a full, like, zealous you know disciple of jesus so I, long yeah that's a long answer to really a yeah. short answer my short answer that's is a great answer give people space to journey with jesus and their journey with jesus might look differently than your journey with jesus is maybe that thing that's that you struggle with for years they might not struggle with but maybe the thing that they're struggling with and still struggling with and still struggling with uh, might be different than the thing you're, you're struggling with. Give them the same grace you would expect them to give to you. And I think what I've heard you say throughout all of this is that what we have that's the most powerful as believers is the love of Christ. Yeah. Is that the option isn't misery with Christ or experience your love. Is that is if you pursue Christ, he will give you a, a heart that will find utter contentment and joy uh, and rest and peace in him. You'll experience that same love. So it's either love in Christ or love, you know, apart from Christ is what is the offer that we that we bring. And it's the same for all of us. That's right. Uh, we all have that option yeah. uh, with, with whatever it is that plagues us. Absolutely. So what would be your final word challenge? Um, you know, what do people everything you've said we need to hear so much is great, great content, great next steps, great uh, assumptions that we need to have as we engage uh, same sex attracted culture. Uh, what would be your, your parting words or your final challenge? Yeah, two things. Number one, I would say if you don't know somebody who's gay or lesbian or trans or whatever, like get get to know somebody and just become a good listener. Like get, get to know people, get to know the full person, you know, and uh, and, and learn from that and, and, and embody the love of Christ toward that person. Secondly, um, there's a lot of literature out there. I, I would, mm. I mean, I mean, questions related to sexuality and gender are, are one of, one of, if not the most pressing ethical questions facing the church today. I mean, abortion obviously would be up there, you know, yeah. maybe race related questions are up there as well. I mean, I don't want to downplay other important ethical questions, but issues around same sex sexuality, gender identity are among the most pressing ethical questions facing the church today. So I used to say, therefore, you leaders need to really get up to speed on this. Now right. I say, if you're a Christian, it's good. You know, yeah. I, I would, I would, uh, you know, commit to reading a few books or some resources on this topic at least, um, just to get up to speed. And this is going to sound really slimy and sales pitchy, but I would highly recommend uh, going to our website, yeah. centerforfaith.com. We've got a lot of free. You can you can spend hours just in our free resources, papers or blogs, a podcast you can listen to. But we also have some. We, we try it's to good. make them really affordable, paid resources that they can. Yeah, no, we're definitely going to link to those and make it easy to get there. Um, me and Jason have obviously been edified by them. Are there one or two other authors that have helped you as you've thought through yeah. these issues? There's a lot. I would highly recommend the book um, Single Gay Christian by my friend Greg Coles. It's a beautifully written book. He believes in a traditional sexual ethic. He's same-sex attracted, pursuing celibacy, and it's just a really good window into his life. Uh, Wesley Hill's Washed and Waiting is a classic uh, that's a really good book. Um, I'm just scanning my shelf here. If you are, um, 
if you're interested in the psych in the psychology of this conversation, yeah. uh, Mark Yarhouse has several uh, really good books out there. Um, also, there's a book, um, Same Sex Attraction and the Church by Ed Shaw is really good. Ed Shaw is a single celibate same-sex attracted Christian who's a pastor in the UK. Wow. Yeah. And uh, his book is both, you know, theological and also testimonial. Um, lastly, uh, Sam Alberry is another really good um, author that, I, again, a, a single uh, celibate, same-sex attracted Christian who's who's very, very thoughtful, very well-educated. And, and uh, yeah, th- and there's yeah. a lot more, but I'll... Yeah, excellent. No, no, we'll list those in the show notes as well. Um, it's something we all need to be educated on uh, that, that we need to have I mean, Christ likeness in. I mean, it's just like you say, it's one of the pressing ethical issues of our day. And unfortunately, heretofore, we've been woefully inequipped to, uh, to deal with it well. So we appreciate you, Dr. Man, just the great stuff you brought today, man. Anytime you want to come back and continue to push us and challenge us and convict us, I'm all in. You just let me know. Cool. Awesome. Sounds good, man. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care.